have you learned anything from your experiences of dementia and old age? Have I learned anything? I find it hard to answer that question. Learnt, I mean, I've obviously learnt about dementia to an extent from, from operating within it. No, I think I wish I had learnt things. I am not learning things. I, can, I am continually thinking about myself. This is one of the th factors of dementia, yes. Always, in you're thinking about the way you're handling it or the way you're trying to, to deal with it, not about the actual subject. You're, you're seeing yourself in relation to it. If you're having a sort of objective conversation with somebody else, you're actually thinking about the way that you're having the conversation, not the conversation. Right. So the form rather than the content. How how you're saying it rather than and if you're if you know what's happening rather than what's happening. Yes. Yes, definitely the form rather than the content. Absolutely. Right. And and also I guess that's that's not just dementia that does that as well. Like old age in general has made you less mobile. It means you have to think about things that you never had to think about. Right. Things which were just you you were, were not thought not things you thought about were automatic things. Yeah. Yes, this, this, I suppose this does become true in old age, generally. But, uh, yeah, but you could have, one could have continued with one's life into old age, even without those kind of problems that you just referred to. But beyond that, you could have still be continuing the first life, the life that you were in. Right, I don't think I'm continuing it now. Do you remember you? to a sunless sea memories of my dad there's a general content note for this show it will always be in some way about death dementia old age and mental health issues there'll be specific content notes for some of the episodes but down to a sunless sea we'll always be talking about those things episode one documenting. My dad was 58 when I was born and retired before my understanding of the world really kicked in. I never knew him as someone with the official title of documentary maker, but that is what he was before I was born. So all of my life you've not been someone who works, uh, you've been someone who cares. Um, <laughs> But that's not been the experience of any of my siblings, my older siblings. And it also means that there's a big part of your life I, I don't really know about. I mean, I do know about it because we talk so much and we've covered so much of each other's lives, not just on mic. We do have conversations quite a lot of mic. In fact, we were having conversations long before I even picked up a microphone. Yeah, so all of my life, I've not known you as a, a person who works. So for me, I mean, I knew you were into film because you were into film anyway. You love uh, Orson Welles and Citizen Kane. And, you know, I did film studies at A-level, you know, partly because of your passion for film has influenced me and interested me. You were always a writer, 
But once you retired, that became the other thing that you did a lot more. You wrote a lot more. Mm -hmm. So I've always thought of you as uh, the person who looks after the children and writes books. I mean, you know, as an adult, it's a much more nuanced and complex relationship to you. But, you know, as a child, they were your kind of primary roles, I guess. For the last 10 years, I've been documenting his life in a series of interviews. During that time, he has finally started the ultimate transition we all go through from life to death. And so I have also found myself documenting the physical and mental effects of old age and dementia. No, I mean, I think that... I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> That's got, the most annoying thing of all. <laughs> you actually have an idea, you've got it formulating it in words in your brain, and then, then you, you know, and then disappears. A document is a piece of evidence, a record, a proof of something. By this definition, we are all living documents. Documents that may or may not be lost to history. What parts of us are recorded? What parts of us are seen? These days, I'm surprised to find that documentary maker is something that you could call me. It wasn't something that I dreamed of doing as a child, but I find myself with a similar resume to my father. He made documentary films for the coal board. I make documentary podcasts for a social enterprise. Like him, I am trying to find the balance between following someone else's brief and making art that resonates with me and my values. To be someone who documents something is to be someone who decides what to record and what documents are worth sharing, and to create a narrative that makes sense from often conflicting and contradictory sources. When I was 17, he got me an interview with Rotha and I became the office boy at Rotha's. <laughs> So I was 17. I was the office boy. So what did that mean? Well, you know, I was a sort of general factotum in the office. With, with, I was there with the hope and expectation of be, getting some job in filmmaking. Yeah. You know. When I was... I'd been there about a year, I think. I was there for a year and a half before I went into the army. But I didn't have a specific wish to make films. It was just somebody offered me this opportunity. Right. We both became documentary makers by accident. Our passion and instincts are for writing and creating. We have both worked at a level where it is hard to combine craft with art, often making other people's messages rather than expressing our own. To make money, even small amounts of money that don't fully cover the rent, we have to do things that distract us from who we are and that use up some of the energy that we might have used to make other things. The word document derives from the Latin word for teach. So documentary makers are teachers and like all teachers they communicate ideas and ideas are not neutral and ideologyless. They are framed by the society that surrounds them and by the people who impart them. He offered me that he got me to offer me this chance to direct this two and a half minute trailer 
that was a little film that they used to stick on the end of newsreels. The, the, the newsreels were made by the newsreel companies in a normal way, but the, 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 the Ministry of Information uh, you know, sponsored these little two-and-a-half-minute films to go on the end of, of a newsreel, which was sent to the newsreel company, and they put it on the end of their newsreel. Offered me the chance to do this, and I accepted happily. I grew up immersed in fiction, drama, poetry, and polemics. I was rarely interested in myself, at least in a non-fictional way. I knew my father as a writer who wrote fiction, first on a typewriter, later on a computer. That set some of the blueprint for what I was interested in being, and for what I would come to see myself as. I was a writer, like my father. In my mid-twenties, I found myself standing on a stage telling an audience a true story about my life. So my life in Coventry was very much like that. It was, it was, um, and my dad was a character in that story. Um, and uh, happy and, and, and not happy. And I didn't tell my dad because his house was this oasis. Um, and I, I, that's where I went. It was, perhaps, was the first time I had presented my life and my dad's life to an audience. The new cathedral. And, and, and at his house, Something uh, on clicked. This and time, from I then on, I began to look at my life uh, as material uh, that could be presented directly, not filtered through fiction or drama. Like many people coming to true storytelling, I hadn't realised that my life could be interesting to other people, that my normal was abnormal and interesting to others. This also coincided with me re-evaluating my past and myself. I wanted to learn to be a better person. I wanted to make sense of my past and I wanted to record that process of changing. I began to make a podcast called Getting Better Acquainted I need to get better. in which I talked and listened Please to people I knew better. about who they were and what they thought better. and felt. After making that show for a little while, I came to see it as an autobiography through conversation. And it's not just autobiography, it's a biography of my guests and my dad has been the most frequent guest that I've had on that show, so it's a document of his life as well as mine. And I had to, I had to make this little two and a half minute film on the care of clothes. Right. Because they, they wanted to encourage people to look, you know, they, these propaganda films during the war on the end of this news were little things about various social things that, 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 that you know um, and this particular one was you know you should look after your clothes right. so and you don't have to buy new ones and all that and this film is actually available online it's a woman mm. putting her stockings on mm -hmm. and a guy putting his shoes by the by the fireplace and it's like don't uh, do this it's, line of it's like a teacher yeah it's like a teacher telling people off but it's a bit it, it is quite creative the way you filmed it like in stop motion almost, with her stockings going up and down her leg, I think. I didn't know you were 17 when you did it. Yeah. But it's it's quite a fun... It's, it is totally propaganda. And it's mm. quite funny to me to, to think of you making propaganda. Well, it was wartime. My dad 
made his first documentary during World War II. He directed a piece of public information propaganda encouraging people to make do and mend. Shortly after that, he went off to war, and when he came back, he reconnected with his documentary colleagues and began his career as a documentary maker. When I came back, which was in uh, 1947, that long time after, as I say, that by then, this cooperative had established itself, and I had the chance of either going into that or going back to Roth, and I chose the cooperative and went into the cooperative. And then the cooperative got this contract to make mining view every month for the coal board. Right. So I went on working for data film productions. During the time that I was with them, I made this, I was continually working on mining review. Right. Then I had this brief year, this two year training course for becoming a teacher and two term teaching and went back into films because right. Francis Geisen had become a National Coal Board Films Officer. And he, he'd come back from, from South America, where he'd been running a film company. And um, he wrote to me, and I gave up, gave up this teaching, which I was fed up with for all sorts of reasons. Right. Uh, and went back into the Coal Board film unit, who were by then making Mining Review. Right. So then I was making mining reviews again, but this time for the Cobalt film unit. Right. I mean, that so went on until I retired. He also documented the family in various ways. And by the time I was born, he was taking lots of photos and even recording occasional audio of us on a cassette tape. You know what year it is now, Dave? What? The what, wrong one. What year is it, Dave? 1988. 1988, yeah. Huh? What was it before then? The year before 1988. 1987. Well, would you like to say a few words to the New Year, Dave? Come on, I'll put the, re- come on, I'll put the recorder on. You can say something for the New Year. Here, Dave, come and say a few new, a few words to the world for the New Year. Don't get too near. You just put me right there. What do I do? Well, anything you like to. What, what message have you got for the world on this New Year's Day from the King of the Fairies? I haven't got any. You told me you were the King of the Fairies yesterday when we were going I up the am. hill. I am. And so you should have a message. Me. For all the fairies, anyway. All right. Do I do it now? Yes. All those fairies out there, this is the best year we're going to have. Because all the witches and things up there are going to come down to work, all right? And you better come down too. Bye. You better tell them who you are, who you're speaking. Of course it's the king of the fairies. Bye. Oh, well, that would be the fairies. They'd be a very happy lot. They'd be a very happy lot. Could I hear what I said now? By my teens, he was shooting videos of family occasions. But recording and presenting reality was something that he absolutely still had at the centre of his life. Around the same time that I began to get involved in true storytelling, my dad also found himself on a stage talking about himself. The stage in question was at the British Film Institute, where my dad was interviewed about his documentary work. When you were doing that Coalboard BFI retrospective of the work that the documentary films being made about the coal mines and uh, other things like that was shown in the BFI. I was at a couple of those with you. It was an interesting time for me as suddenly this vague idea of what he had done before I was alive began to become 
clearer to me. But anyway, during the time I was there, it evolved from that hand work to, you know, power machines. And you don't The names of which I knew absolutely. Right. I knew them, and, and the names of which I can't remember any right. of them now. I mean, I made films named by which had the name of some of them but I can't remember them and you document I mean I guess you oh, documented God. that technological change because that was part yes. of the job of, of reporting back on the well, coal yes. well, uh, industry and the coal yes, experience that was, all, that was one of the yeah one of the things a constant sort of up, uh, recording of the sort of new uh, revolutions in technology and you also made a film with the Pittman painters which was made into oh, yes. a, a, a play uh, relatively by, recently. By what's his name? Um, by the, I, I, by the, I don't oh recall God. his name in this moment, and that is okay. He will not be offended if he hears, because you've. I've, I'm 35 and I've forgotten his name. That happens yeah. in life. Yes, Pittman painters. It's good. Yeah, but so the you story, were, the the play. Yeah. Right, the play. But you went and actually spoke to those people, so they were like a. a, a they, well, they were yeah, when he was, he he saw the mining review. He saw them. your film. That's right. It was yeah. part. That well, was, was what part, inspired the play. It was a nice film, which means it was a two and a half minute. That's right. He, he name checked you on oh, front row, didn't he? That's why it's embarrassing to forget his name. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Uh, so you met him. Yeah, yeah. No, I know. I think I did as well. Yeah, you did. You were there. I think was I was. That? The BFI commissioned a whole series of events, DVD box sets, and publications focusing on the public information films that people like my dad had made. Suddenly. Very late in his life, he was receiving recognition for his work. He was having chapters of books written about him. He was being interviewed about his life. And having thought that he would not be recorded in the wider documents of history, he suddenly found himself seen, listened to and celebrated. Yeah, it was in the BFI. When no, you it wasn't had, the BFI. Yeah, because you had a retrospective. There was a retrospective of your work. So the way that the, the narrative of your life went is you thought you thought no one would like recognise or remember you. Oh no, you. there was that film. That was that. that and was, then yeah, and then it, it turned out. I've forgotten that, the title of it. That in your later years, <laughs> that there's been an interest in your work from scholars of documentary film and the BFI, and you've been uh, interviewed for various books about that time. I mean, the thing is, we may never have managed to get it out as coherently as I, as as would be historically accurate on getting better acquainted but it's out there in books there's loads yeah. and it's out there in yeah, is, dvd yeah, yeah. box sets with yeah, you yeah. talking um, in the special features and all of that stuff like i've seen interviews of you talking about yeah. in your suit using your best voice as you do when you're on mic from the point of view of someone who has tried to document my dad's life I'm very glad that it happened, not just because it was a great time for him, but also because his working life is the one area of his history that I feel I haven't managed to capture coherently on my podcast. By the time that I sat down with him to record a conversation on that topic, his ability to recall and to retell those times was reduced. And it became a document more about his experience of dementia than a coherent and comprehensive record of what he had done in his working life. I don't rec- I wouldn't recognise the person who's actually sitting and having this conversation with you, because that's not that's not how I see myself. No, I still see myself back in a sort of normality. You know, anywhere between six, any time between six and sixty. 
I would say. Well, six and eighty-six, maybe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So you think but, you're a different person than you oh, used to? Oh yeah. Be. Well, when I look up in the mirror now, I think that's not me. We record our lives and the lives of others using our memory and our technology. We choose what to record, how we record it, and how we present it, sometimes consciously and sometimes subconsciously. We don't always fully choose because we can only work with what we have. Sometimes our choices are more restricted than others. We are all documents. We are all documenters. We are all documentary makers. When I wrote the original draft of this piece, my dad was 93. He was a different dad to the one that I knew as a child and a different person to the one that I had a long and close friendship with. No, I haven't got the same sort of unconsciousness in in life the sort of the naturalness of life you're once constantly aware and thinking of one situation and all this sort of thing i find now in this sort of old demented area you think much more all the time about what you're doing why instead of just doing you do natural things you know, right, you, know you walk right. out to the kitchen or you go in you know or you go up the road or you go and go, go across the road to buy something. now for me all the time this is always all of this becomes sort of oh what am i going to do now shall i do oh why well, i don't know do i want to do you know it's what i mean you you lose normality no, the I get normality you. of life. I get you, and I mean, you definitely, like, you know, watching you game the system, like, you have to work out how to navigate the fact that you can't navigate things as well as you used to. Like, you know, there's, you've got various different kind of techniques to do things, like physically, because you physically are not as yeah. kind of uh, well, physically I mean, things capable. I can't do physically right. at all. That's what, in fact, in some ways, that's... You know that, that that's that's the sort of basic underlying thing which really gets one fed up. You know, you can't use your hands properly. Right. You can't, you know, you can't put shelves up. Or, yeah. You know. I know. I mean, I I don't know because I, mean, I used you, to be but quite I see it from the outside and it breaks my heart. You know, not like breaks my heart. <laughs> and I'm sorry for you, but just like I don't like that that exists. You know, it, yeah. it frustrates. No, it's me. like I mean. I'm, I'm, that that's all gone. That kind of simplicity, right? Underlying simplicity, which allows you to be sort of complicated in your thinking or whatever, but you because your natural life is running underneath you, and you know, right, right, and it's, it's strange. Like, it's hard to describe. No, I think you're doing a very good job of describing it, though. I mean, I don't. I've not experienced it. I can't. I, I don't want to experience no, it. Hopefully, but, you won't. Well, hopefully, I won't. I agree. But I. I also. I see it from the outside, you know, and it is very, like it's just. I don't know. It just, you know, you. The, all of the senses and things that you enjoyed, you can't do as, you know, mm. there, there are much less of the things that you like to do that you can do. It was right, perfectly normal. This normality existed right up to, to 2012, 
twelve, you know, that when I when I started when they started. Right, right up to then it existed. I know, and that's I mean, lucky. Look at all the time. I mean, at the end of the day, that is lucky. Well, no, all the time with apples for everyone. I know, I know. You know, I was coming out with you. I know you were. That's my old band with the camera and it's, you know. Yeah, I know. When I was in my eighties, then wasn't I? I know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you've always seemed younger than your years. Like nobody's yeah, ever been able. Said to me then. That's yeah, true. Nobody's ever believed your age all the time. Uh, when I was, you could believe up. it now. I mean, not looking yeah. at me. You could like, looking at me now. Right. I mean, this is the thing I really got. When I look in a mirror, <laughs> right. I don't believe it. No. That isn't me. That's not me. I'm not. You know, I really don't think now. I'm no, looking I know. at you. I'm. I'm looking at you from something that isn't actually here. I know. What I think is myself. But when I look in the mirror... Well, I mean, I remember you looking differently than you look. You yeah, I'm sure you do. I hope you do, yes. Well, I do, yeah. yeah. It must be very strange, though. Now, he is even less that person that I knew. He is close to death, but he has also lived so much longer than I ever hoped or expected that he would. Since these are close to his final days, and since I find it hard not to think about him... I thought that I would document our relationship. This documentary, these documents, are told from my perspective. And so it is probably more about me than it is about him. And these narrations won't focus much on the life that he had before I knew him. But... I will be sharing clips of him talking in his own words from the numerous conversations that I've had with him over the years. This show is not a historic or a legal document. This show is a document of love. It is also the first of many documents, the first episode of many episodes that will make up this podcast. Audio essays with clips and sound design that focus on me and my dad, as well as interviews with experts about the issues that come up. Everything much more edited and constructed than the work that I did on getting better acquainted from 2011 to 2018. Next week, I'll be talking to another person who is documenting a parent's dementia. And so I felt a bit lost and I started to do research and I could see there were things going on and things out there, but I felt like if I feel like this, there must be other people in a, a similar situation. So I just started to document what was happening by recording. And my mum was very up for it because she felt that there was a lot of stigma around being labelled as someone who had dementia and she wanted to be open and talk about it and not have people feel afraid if they came across someone who had dementia and, and to understand what it meant. You can hear future episodes of Down to a Sunless Sea 
Memories of My Dad on the Getting Better Acquainted podcast feed or by subscribing to the Down to a Sunless Sea podcast feed. Both should be available anywhere that you get your podcasts. Do let me know if I'm missing your platform. You can find Down to a Sunless Sea Memories of My Dad on Facebook or on Twitter where it's at sunlesspod. And you can email the show at downtoasunlesspod at gmail.com. If you want to stream the episodes or read the show notes, you can find all of that at downtoasunlesspod.com. And if you want to follow me, you can do that on Twitter or Instagram at goosefat101. This podcast included content funded by the British Podcast Awards and the Welcome Trust. Well, we've talked about loads of things I didn't expect to talk about. We've talked for much longer than I expected we talked. Yes. Um, it's been fun, though. How, have you found it fun? Yes, yes. What do you think about this conversation we've had? I don't know what to think about the conversation because I can't remember it. <laughs> <laughs> That's quite a... Yeah. But no, I haven't. No, I'm, you know. I mean, if you compare it with any of the others we've had... My incoherence will become quite clear. My dementia will become obvious. I think it will. Yeah, but yeah. there is a difference in the way that you were to yeah, the way that you are yeah, now. Yeah, but I right. also I also do think though that you still have a lot to say and you <laughs> are still pretty coherent about what yeah, you say. I've got, I've got to go on to saying things, so there's no point in doing it.